care for all Rose can suck my balls Fuck your reply guys Please don't fuck your reply guys Just listen to reply guys Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys The leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us I am Kate Willett And I'm Julia Clare How you been doing Julia? Oh wow Just Doing stuff Just absolutely going outside It's been I mean I'm I'm The weather in New York is is too hot right now But I'm just kind of dreading when it gets Like I'm thankful that I can Be outside doing things Even if it's a little A little too hot Um and I went on, let's see, uh, went on a date for the first time since Quar. Will you tell me what Zoom dating, like, was it a Zoom date or no? Was it an in-person date? It was an in-person date. It was a socially distanced date. And how did you do it? Describe this to me because I'm fascinated. Um, we just went, we got drinks at an outdoor location. And did you wear, like, masks and stuff? This isn't about mask shaming. I'm just, like, curious how this works. No. I mean, not like while we were drinking, but we did wear masks when we were like ordering and I don't know. It was bizarre. It was honestly nice. (laughs) It was nice to meet a stranger, (laughs) uh, talk to someone in person at length. Uh, But yeah, it was all outside. It was, I don't know. But yeah, anyways, it seems like there are a lot of people... I do see in New York, I still see a lot of mask compliance, which I'm, I'm thrilled about. And I think I saw something today that our, our rate of, um, tests coming back positive was like 1% or something. The 1%. Yes. Uh, the 1%. So we are the 99%. Um, and so, yeah, I feel I feel good about that. I also like, yeah, I'm, I'm still like very nervous, obviously, but outdoors, I feel a little bit like I definitely wear my mask as much as I can outdoors too. But like, I mean, if you're going to be outside like that, there are, it's, I don't know. I just feel, I feel safer outside than I do in enclosed spaces. Yeah. I, uh, I did a couple outdoor comedy shows this week, which was really, really fun uh, to do stand up again. Some of the material that I was working on on Zoom shows, tried some of that. And it was like kind of good to confirm that it made people laugh in real life. But it was definitely nice to do stand up. I don't know. It's at this point. I don't mean to be like a total doomer about things, but it's hard because (laughs) my doomerness keeps getting reinforced. Like at the beginning of the quarantine, people were going to like, people were thinking that it was going to last 15 days or that it was going to last until June. And I'm like, no, we're going to be living like this for 18 months. And, Mm. you know, it it seems like that was correct. And now it feels like it could be even longer. So I'm like, I don't know, but it definitely seems like it's going to be a long time until stand up, the kind that you see inside it comes back in a safe way so I, I did a couple outdoor shows and you know if i thought that 
if I was really afraid of transmission outdoors, I wouldn't have done it. But from the data that I've read, it seems like the rate of transmission outdoors if everyone's wearing a mask and social distancing is pretty low. Uh, yeah, so totally. I appreciated the aspects of gathering community there. And it was really nice. Uh, you know, I definitely see some people on the side of like, well, why would you do anything? Like, why would you risk it at all? But I think in my own life, I'm feeling, I don't know, I guess I'm feeling like the urge to kind of live with this in a way that feels like I won't go completely, I don't know, just to the dark place for living with it for a couple years. I don't know. Also, I can't, uh, God, I mean, I don't know anybody who would say, I mean, I'm sure that there, there are these people who exist, but I don't know who would be like, why would you go to an outdoor comedy show? Like, that's, again, of the the many different risk levels, that's so low. It's like, we're all just doing what we can to make this situation livable. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I definitely see people, like, shaming even folks who are going to the beach, even if it's social distance and stuff. I think there are a lot of people who are on the side of why will you, why would you do anything? And I think, you know, definitely I saw that in March, you know, for, for sure in March, I was like, you know, you can go for a walk by yourself around the block or whatever, but, you know, being out and about anywhere, it was just like, you know, why in April too, you know, but now as we get more information, both about, you think, you know, the, the lower risk outdoors and also you know, how long we're going to be living like this. Um, it feels, uh, yeah, I don't know. It feels important to do things like go to the beach, you know, where the wind can blow away the, the droplets or whatever. I don't know. I'm not making this up myself. I've seen epidemiologists say stuff like this. No, 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 no. I've seen, I've seen so many, uh, epidemiologists write different pieces about, um, like, the spectrum of summer activities or outdoor activities, like what is kind of high risk, what's low risk. And yeah, if you are spaced out on the beach, that is a very safe place to be. <laughs> That's, I just think that people on both ends of the spectrum are not using common sense. Obviously, the more dire of the two is the spec is like the end of the spectrum where people just are, you know, doing uh pulling a florida and just not wearing masks at all and uh and that sucks obviously but um yeah i i think for especially for those of us who don't live in you know you know don't live with a partner or don't live you know, there's so many people who also live alone. I just think that like shaming people for just trying to make this situation tolerable for themselves, especially when it's in a like known safe way, a factually safe way to do it is it's really silly to just, and it's kind of cruel to shame people for just trying to fucking survive uh, and, you know, survival is not just like living, existing, rather. It's like, you know, you have to have some quality of, 
of life. And we are, a lot of us are making a lot of big sacrifices, but it's, it's just really, uh, some people, some people are not, are not empathetic and they are, I'll say it, they're bad. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you and like, you know, I, the thing is, is like all of the shaming of individuals, I feel like we probably talked about this before. And if so, I'm sorry, because I, I think about this all the time. All the shaming of individuals is really a distraction and a misplacement of blame. I'm not saying it's good if someone goes to a party, but no country has beaten the virus or like gotten their case numbers way down without a coordinated response of totally. some kind, whether it's lockdown or intense testing and tracing. I mean, like... You know, even if we all don't go to a party, there's still like 40 percent of people working right now. Uh, and, you know, like obviously it's you know, it's it's our each of us needs to do whatever we can to not spread the virus. But, you know, it's like the social distance picture taking. Oh, look at these motherfuckers that I saw at the beach. You know, like that's Yeah. Even if those people don't do that, we're not going to like beat the pandemic, you know? No, totally. I mean. Unfortunately, in the absence of the government, the federal government's action, uh, a lot of this has fallen disproportionately on individuals. And it's obviously not just the federal government, because a lot of the, you know, as we said, with like Florida and, uh, you know, the state governments are to blame as well. The Republican Party, like conservatism is a death cult. And I just don't it's it doesn't nothing about their ideology squares it's like the party of like quote-unquote individual responsibility oh yeah and they all like refuse to wear a mask yeah and you know (laughs) and and democrats are you know enabling enabling it as well and you know uh i some news about our uh our friend amy mcgrath uh, 17 points behind mcconnell there's nothing really else to say about that except for yeah duh uh, we told you so. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if Charles Booker could win, but I, I definitely think that he'd be closer right now and that there would be, you know, a lot of enthusiastic volunteers for his campaign. Amy McGrath fucking sucks. Another thing that everybody is obsessed with is the Lincoln Project. That's my other pet peeve of the week. I'm going to go ahead and name the Lincoln Project the Reply Guys of the Week. Reply Guy of the Week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They, they were on, you know, they've been on my mind because they've been making all of these ads for, you know, anti-Trump ads, pro-Biden ads, really, I guess, you know, and it's pretty, you know, they want to... They're like never Trump Republicans or whatever, but, you know, uh, they obviously want they want influence in a Biden administration, but they also want to send the message to the Democratic Party like, hey, we're the people that you need to pander to Republicans. Don't don't listen to the left of your party. And it's frustrating. It's a the founders are Steve Schmidt and Rick Wilson, uh, who is a ghoul who made, you know, racist ads about Obama, you know, and uh, George Conway is in there. And I guess the other day I was thinking is, is he doing this just because he wants his wife to move home? Yes. Yeah. I mean, the the marriage of George and Kellyanne Conway is of endless fascination to me. I, uh, I want the tell all book. I'm ready for it. Would you really read that? though? Because it's like, I cannot understand why people read 
Yeah, people who read tell-all books about anything Trump-related, I'm like, how are you not sick of this guy? Like, when Mary Trump's book came out, it was... I know, and it was, like, immediately on the bestseller list. Yeah, it's... I mean, I don't know much about her book, and I refuse to learn, so I guess it's a weird subject for the podcast. No, I I absolutely don't know anything about it. Will not read it even a blurb about it i don't know yeah i mean it's just it's like weird to me that people can still be fascinated with this even as a subject in comedy you know like i mean it's just i don't know it's like he's not he's not funny like we don't he (laughs) trump people kept saying trump would be great for comedy but like now we we don't have comedy anymore (laughs) we have it in a fucking parking lots and shit so i don't know um yeah yeah i mean he's trump is not has has never been good for comedy because it's like there's nothing to parody it's already like a parody of itself yeah 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 i don't well sarah cooper is making those videos and i really like sarah cooper but i do too i mean she's a cool person i know her in real life but there's, do you really i didn't know that yeah i know her in real life uh i know i've known her since like a couple years ago and like i you know i really like sarah cooper but uh and she's a you know really 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 talented at what she's doing but i don't i guess what i don't understand i understand it as a comedy bit but i don't understand how libs think that this that it's going to be possible to defeat trump by owning him at this point <laughs> like the, the fact that that hope still exists is really weird to me after all of these jokes about trump you know most i know i i also just think um that people and it's probably mostly mostly libs who think this way that like pointing out his hypocrisy or even or like any of the republican party's hypocrisy writ large will will finally get them no they like live and breathe hypocrisy yeah they're not concerned they know with what it. they're doing yeah. they don't care yeah it's not a good own they're thinking about power it's not a good own yeah because they don't none of them have like consciences yeah speaking of oh my god so you know i i never really watched trump and I d- we don't really talk about him on the podcast that much because it's just, I mean, he's just really bad. But this Axios interview uh, did have its amazing moments, um, you know, particularly uh, his uh, long defense of wishing Jelaine well. Which Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and then the, the interviewer guy keeps going, she's a child sex trafficker. And then Trump yeah. basically admits that Epstein may have been murdered. <laughs> which you know honestly we love we love that for him and uh it is trump talking about Ghislaine is um the nicest it's the kindest most effusive language i've ever heard him use about a woman (laughs) yeah that's true yeah he was why was he harder on rosie o'donnell than he was on Ghislaine? I mean, I know the answer to that question. uh, We we know. Yeah, we all know the answer to that question. Uh, Yeah. Um, Man. Anyways. Yeah. But I mean, Uh, you know, he was basically I mean, he was basically saying that the United States is doing a a great job with the virus. Uh, He said the the Civil Rights Act hasn't really worked out. Um, He, uh, 
you know, said that the reason that the cases are so high is that testing is so high. That's the point that he is oft reiterated. Look, and also, I think that in, in that interview, the uh, the reporter said 150,000 people are dead, and he said it is what it is. Yeah, that was... <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> if it wasn't terrifying, it would be... Yeah, I mean, absolutely, like, I mean, it's it's all gallows humor at this point. It's just like, every, like, I you don't want to say it can't possibly get any worse, because we know that it will. Like, it always does. It just has... It continues to get worse. But, um, yeah, I feel, like, fucking delirious at this point. Like, I just... I... This information, like, the stuff that he says just, like, wash washes over me. And I just... I can't even, like, fully process it anymore because he is just such a fucking ghoul. Yeah, and uh, there's... And on that cheery note... Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, on that cheery note, but we are really lucky this week. Um, we have Trevor from Champagne Sharks on the podcast, and this is a really fun conversation uh, that I know you will enjoy, so stick around. Just listen to Reply Guys. Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys. I am so excited this week to be talking with Trevor Bullio from the Champagne Sharks podcast. Welcome to the show, Trevor. Hey, how's it going? I'm so happy to be here. We are I'm so, so happy to. I'm officially a Reply Guy now. We're so excited to have you on. Who who's the worst? Uh, who's the worst Reply Guy on the internet? Do you think? Oh, that's a good one. Damn. Um. You know, like, there's a lot of mentioned pests out there, like really pedantic um, mentioned pests. But I think probably the worst one, I don't know if he counts as a reply guy, but have you seen that Thomas Chatterton uh, Williams guy? He's like a high level reply guy. That oh, he, guy who's always talking yeah. about cancel culture. Yeah, he's yeah, the, yeah, he, the, like, Harper's dude, the, the guy that puts together the Harper's letter, right? Yeah. Oh, was he the one who actually put it together? I know he was one of the big signatories. That makes a lot of sense because... That Harper's letter, just one giant reply itself. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So. Yeah. No, that that letter had big reply guy energy. You know, it was big. Yeah. Yeah. There was strong fedora vibes uh, coming off that letter for sure. That guy's big come up was basically an article that was a giant uh, long form reply to Tanahashi Coates. Uh, I don't know if you know that, but in New York Times, he did this long article saying how Tanahashi Coates is like a danger to um the free world basically and that he basically is um the same as richard spencer but from like a liberals standpoint and that and he spoke to richard spencer on the phone and he uncritically without any uh, pushback uh allowed richard spencer to characterize tanahasi code so he was saying how uh Richard Spencer tells him Tanahasi Coates is his biggest recruiting tool um, because he makes everybody focus on race. And then Thomas Chatterton Williams, with no pushback, just writes, Oh my God, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. You know, is this true? And I was like, Oh my God, like you're going to take uh, Richard Spencer as your good faith, uh, you know, source to talk to about this kind of stuff. And yeah, so he's basically been a, a long form reply guy for like a, a long time and i'm not surprised he actually organized that that letter and he's always quote tweeting or replying to like 
uh, other bigger blue checks. And it's working for him. He's making a name, uh, being a basic discourse reply guy. Yeah, it's a... I don't know. I've thought it's like pretty weird in quarantine that this debate over cancel culture has gone on as as long as it has, just because the world is so bad right now. So many people falling apart. Yeah, yeah, so many people are struggling. And uh, I think what started this whole like this particular round of discourse is that uh, Barry Weiss quit her job, basically. So like a very wealthy woman, white woman uh self-canceled she just quit her job <laughs> uh, yeah yeah the timeline's actually a little bit off she quit as the letter was taking off so she um the letter started and then she uh was going to war with people online because people were rightfully pointing out hey you try to get people canceled all the time uh so like what are you doing and then she was like, you know what? Forget it. I quit. And she kind of made a martyr out of herself uh, a couple of days into the controversy. So it was, it's, it's kind of comical. I mean, she's tried to get from her college days. She tried to get a uh, anti-Zionist professor like in trouble and protest against him and organize people against that, pro- that professor. Then she, um, as recently as like last year, one of her black coworkers I think it was a black female co-worker. I can't find the name again, but uh, outed her as complaining to her boss about her. Uh, Barry Weiss complained to this black girl's manager, who's a co-worker of hers, because the black girl uh, turned her down for lunch. And the black girl was like, wait, what? I have a right to not have lunch with you. Like, like why are you uh, snitching to my boss that I didn't have uh, lunch with you? So, so, I mean, she's... She's not a really live and let live kind of person, which I think is kind of what people are kind of really uh, incensed about her doing a cancel culture letter. Yeah, I mean, that story about the lunch thing, it's kind of, you know, I, I mean, it's its bad on all kinds of levels, but I mean, I would just be so embarrassed to like t- tell my boss, like, hey, oh. no one wants to hang out with me because I'm a loser, you know? <laughs> 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 yeah, it's really, it's really, it's really weird. I, I think they didn't even have the same boss because I, you know, like in 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 writing, people had different editors. So I think she actually didn't even go to her own boss. She went to someone else's boss. Like, so I'm sure that person was. If if I have the story right, if I'm wrong, someone will tell me. But to me, it's even weirder. Like, you know, someone doesn't even like oversee you. you just suddenly get a visit from you. Like, hey, you know, your employee didn't want to uh, have. I mean, you're. The person under you didn't want to have lunch with me. I can imagine, like, oh my god, I'm trying to do my work, lady. Like, just just go away. <laughs> yeah, I have real problems. I have a deadline to hit. What are you talking about? Yeah, that's oh man, it's so creepy. You know, like, uh, oh my god, really? It's, <laughs> it's like some fucking men's rights activist shit. But um, oh my god, the, the total lack of awareness that she has, self awareness, is is amazing. You know. So you know, to switch from one creep to another. Uh, I'd like to, I want to talk about, you know, Joe Biden for a second here, not Joe Biden specifically, but you know, Trump is obviously terrible, terrible, terrible. So I find myself hoping that even though I am uh, no fan of Joe Biden, that he gets elected. Uh, and I'm just, you know, I've been thinking about like, you know, where radical politics go, um under joe biden like what you know 
what uh what a leftist movement looks like if joe biden is the president instead of trump i know you've been talking about it lately so i wanted to get your thoughts on that i have a weird feeling um i I don't know how to feel and what i mean by that is like this whole pandemic stuff going on i would have thought for sure oh my god once this happens a lot of people i mean it happened right when bernie was getting close to dropping out i was like everyone's gonna have a wake-up call and be like holy shit we need to have some more um radical redistributive policies and stuff and to this day like the most recent uh, vote or poll of uh democratic politicians they're all still like mm, no medicare for all still a bridge too far yeah i mean i would have thought people would have been storming the ramparts in the street you know like um just a giant wake-up call like how many people dead and we're still fighting over um if people get to work on get to work soon enough you know as far as like if we have the 600 dollars unemployment extended uh anymore then people aren't going to be going back to work or looking for work fast enough and it's like that's really your number one concern like this idea that the engine of capitalism if it stops for anything to refuel or you know because it's overheating or because something's wrong like the whole thing falls apart if it's not like like it's some kind of perpetual motion machine you know like if that's not a sign that the system is super broken and have people like reevaluating stuff then the way i feel like like, i hate to say it but i think things might really have to get worse for anyone to seriously entertain anything um leftist on a grand scale like i think america has too much stockholm syndrome like i think i'm really think i mean even the way people are talking about biden like the mainstream democrats and everything everyone's talking about oh it's gonna be a return to normalcy a return to normalcy and i'm like that's the normal that you want like like that normalcy is what got us here like this whole lack of a, a support system and uh you know, systemic support for people who are down and out, even if it's temporarily, like, um, I, I feel like it's just gonna dissipate. Well, I feel like we haven't had enough radical energy and response, uh, reaction to all the messed up things that have happened. And if it goes back to Biden now, I just feel like it's gonna instantly dissipate. Like, I, I feel like people are too, um, I think people are too bought into everything. I think people just want everything to just go back to normal. Let's hurry up and get things back to where they were. No one really wants to take the time or the inconvenience to really overhaul the system. So I, I don't. I, I don't know. I think people are going to take a lot. I I would have thought this pandemic, combined with everything else, would have been like the shock to the system. Uh, you know, with the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor protests and all this at once, we made the perfect storm to really, like, get even the most uh, mealy mouth centrist to reevaluate everything. And I just, I think America is just too far into Stockholm. I call it fat cat Stockholm syndrome. Like, everyone just wants um, their 401k back and and to be able to go back to Costco and get their bulk stuff i don't know yeah i mean i i definitely agree with you uh on the 
Stockholm Syndrome thing. I mean, it's, you know, it's pretty wild that, like, so many people are, you know, unemployed and people are, like, I think, like, a tenth of people in the United States are food insecure at this point. It's really, really, really high. And um, that's crazy. Yeah. And I, you know, and obviously so many people are sick um, or have friends and family that, you know, have COVID and, uh, you know, people have, you know, no uh, health insurance. It, you know, I'm that was a huge problem before, but now, you know, so many people have lost their employer based health insurance. So I don't know, like it has, it has gotten, really really bad it has always been but you know i'd be it would be uh it would be ridiculous to say that this is not another level right and uh, yeah, yeah yeah totally and uh yeah i don't know i there's i i don't i i don't know if it's complacency i don't think so or you know or just people are just you know really just in the thick of dealing with um their personal emergency situations you know and maybe that is part of the reason why nothing can happen on, on or that th there hasn't been like sort of a sustained mass action in the way that we would that it seemed like there was going to be for a minute yeah i i think what you said is definitely a big part of it that there is this um inability there's this inability to um focus on anything for too long not just because people are lazy or distracted but just because people just have too much going on trying to uh survive you know what i mean so i, I totally agree with that like like it's kind of hard to even get the breathing room to even reflect or, or but also like how do you even organize anything we have no community our community is uh is dead like think about how easy it is for people to adjust to quarantine you would have think this would have been the most mind-breaking thing and it's surprisingly easy and i kind of realized wait people kind of live a quarantine life anyway i i, I started realizing there's no wonder people's brains aren't breaking because what's really what's really different for most people you're only connecting to your friends through social media and posting you're only um you're binge watching tv all day on the weekend you step out once or twice a week to um get drinks like like i feel the community was so shot already that it didn't even take much to uh adjust to even the reality of um, quarantine or semi quarantine that we're in now like, like now that we're in semi quarantine i think people's lives really aren't really that different like you just 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 drink outside once a week instead of drinking inside um <laughs> once a week you know yeah i i i think that i i definitely think that that's that's true for a lot of people you know this is it's not like this was the first time that uh, our society became really atomized it, it already was that and this is just like kind of amping it up another level at least for people who can work from home you know it's totally a different yeah. story for essential workers um or people who have but, to but, go but in even, even people who like, like okay like the, the essential workers are now like you know uh, a lot of them are back at work you know they're just having to serve people with the mask on and to go back outside. But like for an office worker, I mean, office people in offices nowadays, they don't really know their, their coworkers, you know, that, that well, it's just someone that they talk to, uh, via the internal email. A lot of the times, um, you know, you have the messenger at work and you're talking to your coworkers through messenger and stuff. So 
when I was doing work at home, you know, it was the same thing. I'm just emailing my coworker. The only, thing, the only difference is I couldn't go over to someone's uh, desk or cubicle and just talk uh, for like five minutes. But oh, yeah, that's, I mean, what, I, I mean, that's people... what I miss so much. I miss that so yeah. much. Hello, Julia, yeah. by the way. Hello. Hi. Sorry, I'm late. Uh, I was, uh, not to brag, in a work meeting. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I really do. I miss seeing my coworkers. I don't, I didn't even have that big of an office, but, um, it was just, I don't know. I miss the comfort of seeing the same people every day, even the people I didn't really like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So to go back to the protest for a moment, I mean, you know, on the one hand, I think, you know, all of us would have expected that, you know, if uh, if things got this bad, that, you know, there there would be even more protests than there were. But at the same time, um, there has been a huge protest movement over the past few months, like definitely like nothing I've ever seen in my life. And um you know with with calls to abolish and defund the police um yeah i was wondering how you like what you see as the path forward now how do we keep the momentum um around uh you know abolishing and defunding the police yeah i don't really think it's gonna work unfortunately in the current state that it's in because i think the only way only one of two things is going to have to happen either it's going to have to stay at like riot level i think because like everyone keeps talking about how we have to keep it peaceful and all this stuff and when i look at the clips of a lot of it There'll be people like on the news someone who's like taking the some protesters taking the knee with cops I'm like, what's what, like, what's the point of that? It makes like no sense to me. Like, why? You know, like, um, the cops will take a knee, then the protesters will take a knee, and everyone cheers. And it's like, okay, you just want to be friends with the cops. I don't understand what kind of protest uh, this is. And like this, have you seen those those videos where people are doing like line dancing with the cops and all this stuff? Yeah. And that's normal yeah, losers. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! It's like it's like they're all doing the cupid shuffle and all this stuff and. And I think a lot of people are basically coming out to these protests just because uh, they either want to make a name for themselves. So people show up with a bullhorn and then they announce themselves and announce they're like an activist. And you'll look and people are like influencers and Instagram. Like there was one guy in New York, I think his name was like Paris Howard. He turned out to be like an influencer and a slash model. And he was, um, he took a bullhorn and he started leading the charge and started leading chants. And then he, uh, he was like, he would say something and make the crowd say it. So he'd be like, uh, we want, we want justice, justice, blah, blah. My Instagram handle, my Instagram handle. You know, and, and he started giving his Instagram handle and making people repeat it. And then like half the people started realizing, wait a minute, this guy is uh, <laughs> plugging his Instagram and his uh, modeling page. And then, uh, but half the people repeated it and the news picked him up and he was all over. Like, there's a lot of people like that. And you think, you like, think that those people are, are more represent I think that those people are kind of the exceptions and maybe the people who are being like highlighted by mainstream media sources but from Oh yeah I I think they're the, the exception but uh hold on let me let me let's finish my point cuz I think you're totally right I'm, I'm going to get to that I think there's two things going on there's people like that who are made the um pilot of the media but I think what's happening is and this is like the other half of the equation there is like a gap in 
actual leadership because I think there's a big strength in leaders, leaderless movements. There's a very big strength to leaderless movements, but when you get to a certain point in a leaderless movement, it hits a wall. And that's what happened with Occupy. That's what happened yeah. with the first wave of Black Lives Matter where you have all this energy, you have all this raw energy that can spontaneously erupt at any given moment, which is a strength of the leadership the, the leaderless movement and also if anybody falls or gets taken down or arrested or whatever the thing doesn't automatically dissipate because it's not all um in the form of like one cult of personality or leader it can it can keep going and it's very amorphous and agile and that's really good but you get to a point where what got you here isn't going to get you there and i think at a certain point the leaderless movement can only go so far because then there's no place to really channel the energy or no set list of demands that you could make or a timeline like you know it's like labor no matter how long somebody how a workplace strikes someone has to be the later the labor leader to go in and say okay i'm meeting with management now and here's a list of demands or whatever like you can't just have an endless strike you have to eventually have somebody who goes in and has the demands and the or else or whatever that comes after the strike so what I was trying to bring about the Paris Howards or the influencer people is that I think when you hit that point where what got you here won't get you there and this leaderlessness, that vacuum kind of allows for the D-rays, the different figureheads or whatever to kind of be anointed the face of the movements after um, that wall gets hit. So you have like two things going on. You have this energy that just keeps going and going until it burns itself out because no one uh, was there to kind of transform that energy into something now uh, proactive, like a list of demands, a timeline, uh, a rebuilding plan, a um, an escalation. And then you have these other people who kind of, uh, I call them outside accommodators. Like I was, people always talk about outside agitators, but I feel like there's something like called like uh, outside accommodators where people just step in and surrender on behalf of uh, movements that didn't even start or lead. And I think leaderless movements are also really kind of um, susceptible to that. So that's why I think if you're going to have a leaderless movement and you're not going to have somebody who's going to do that negotiation or that escalation or, you know, that morphing of the movement to something uh, bigger, like, you know, political candidates and stuff, then the next best thing is to just have rights. Because at least... That's to me. That's the most effective type of leaderless movement, like where okay, nobody's making any type of coherent um, timetables or demands. But the longer we let this go go on, this whole city is gonna burn down. So we got to make something substantial for them, even if no one's. And this is what happened in Minneapolis. Like the only place that actually made major headway in defunding the police was the one that was um, going crazy the most. Like. They didn't wait for somebody to go and become the head of the movement. They didn't wait for an outside accommodator that they can create because no outside, no outside accommodator was, go, was able to take hold of that situation. You know, you couldn't send in, send in a, a new D-Ray McKesson into that and divert it. Like that was not happening. The people in the streets were going too crazy. They weren't going to go for it. And right away they announced, Hey, we're going to defund the police. Um, yeah, I, 
I actually think I've been thinking about this a lot. And I think that the reason why this moment feels so much in this movement feels so much different than Occupy for me is because there has been a list of demands and Occupy's, you know, entire, like it felt very um, kind of centralized to a certain area. And it also felt like their demands were pretty nebulous. And I, I think, you know, I have I have a little bit more. Uh, I, I think I I have a little bit more uh, optimism about about the current moment because of you know seeing seeing like what happened in Minneapolis, but also because in major cities all over the U.S. you've had these you have had lists of demands escalated to like the city councils and the state legislatures and things like that, and you know which is something that you. You didn't, and also the fact that these protests happened in like all fifty states, and it just feels so much larger than the first wave of Black Lives Matter. Certainly, a million times larger than Occupy, and it feels, it feels. I mean, Occupy was something that I feel like you could ignore if you wanted to, and this this doesn't feel like that. Yeah, I agree with you there. Like, I think. I'm making like a sweeping uh, general generalization, but I do think there are like exceptions where, or maybe they're the norms, and maybe uh, what I'm talking about is the exception. Like, like, but I do think there are parts where the people are focused and they have listed demands, or they have uh, activists who have been in this space for a while who uh, are advising. Uh, like, I know the guy Alex Vitale, v- Vitali. He's been um, making the rounds everywhere. And giving a really detailed list of, uh, he had a book end of policing, and he had a really detailed list and and discussion of this stuff because he's been in the space for a while. I think it's really encouraging that there hasn't been anointed like a new, let's um, say Black Lives Matter. I mean, like the organization, like those three figurehead women, or a new D Ray, like someone who just kind of comes in and turns it into a speaking tour like i feel like that hasn't happened and i feel like that's good i want to ask you about something else which feels related to uh the outside accommodators you're talking about um and that's what i think you called on your show the ally industrial complex and uh, that has oh been, yeah yeah that's been one thing about this moment that i've felt uh kind of grossed out by i was i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about w- what that is and why we uh shouldn't do it <laughs> We you know what's interesting with the whole ally industrial complex thing? Uh, I just, I, I gotta say, uh, there's been a lot of white people turning up. I, I've been really impressed by it. I, I, like, I feel like the whole ally industrial complex was much worse the first round of, um, the first round of Black Lives Matter. Whereas this time, and I don't like to call these new protests Black Lives Matter protests. I don't like to call them that because I don't think Black Lives Matter had anything to do with, do with this. Um, it, in fact, I think. They kind of left the space. All of them moved on to other things and different um, and different hustles, and um, they've kind of just jumped back into the space that came from the bottom up this time. Uh, like this movement came from the bottom up, and I think was unrelated to them. And they've kind of come back into space. And a lion's share of the donations go uh, to them because that's just a name that people know. But yeah, I felt like Black Lives Matter and um, I forgot what the Ray's organization is called. I don't think it's called We the People. I, I, I always forget what his. Um, but 
they really, really fostered that ally industrial complex thing where, you know, basically you have a bunch of um, white allies there and most of the talk ends up being about um, impressing the white allies because you're hoping to get a book deal, speaking engagements, camera time, and white allies tend to have different concerns than everybody else. They kind of just want things to go back to normal, you know, whatever normal was, and just have things kind of accommodated. And and so they want to like kind of like a kumbaya type of um, thing going on. So like, I remember what would happen a lot during the first black lives matter protest was there was just a lot of workshops happening. Like, um, when the Ray went down to Ferguson, uh, he was, he was doing these like soapboxes and workshops. And I had listened to one, um, cause they would kind of live stream them and send them out. And it was all about like, it wasn't about what black people could do to mobilize and organize and whatever. It was, always centered on the allies. So it was like, how can I be a good ally? Don't speak over black people. Uh, follow, don't lead. Um, use your, check your privilege. Uh, use your privilege at work and do it. I'm like, oh my God, what does that have to do with anything? Like, why is this all about um, making like the white allies uh, feel good, you know? And a lot of the protests would kind of turn into soul train lines or prayer circles, you, you know? And... I felt like it was kind of a spectacle to kind of make people feel good about the protest. Like this is a, this is a protest in the spirit of Martin Luther King, supposedly. And, you know, um, everyone just wants to get along and hold hands. And by here, where I live in Clinton Hill, this time around, I went to a protest and there were white people setting cars on fire, storming the precinct. And I was like, okay. And I saw like some, of those white ally types, the kind of, you know, people that, um, put like refugees welcome in the, in the window, but you know, call the cops on anybody hanging out in the front of, in front of the building, <laughs> you know, like those types. I saw a lot of them showing up to like protests. And when the other like tatted up, um, rah, rah, white, rah, rah, white people were, uh, turning up, like I saw those people kind of like, you know, turn around and go home, you know, like it, it was like, okay, it's not gonna be that kind of protest. Like, uh, I don't want, my, I don't want my boss to see me at this protest type of protest, you know, like <laughs> yeah. it was, yeah, yeah. So like, you know, I complain about the white ally industrial complex a lot, but I feel like they've been kind of neutered, uh, this time around, same as like the black outside accommodator, the type of a person who just views this as an opportunity, you know, to uh, make a name for themselves. So I agree with Julia on, on that one. I, I think the outside accommodators and those um, influencer and hijacker types, I think they have a lot less uh, sway or ability to uh, derail things um, this time around. I I just think that the only reason they're, they're even able to get even a foothold in is the leaderless uh, trend. So I feel like at some point that's going to have to uh, shift. I hope. Julie is right, and it's shifting significantly already. Like we've already hit that tipping point. I I do hope that. I don't. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have talked about it, but um, yeah, just last night, uh, Cori Bush, uh, won her primary and unseated a 
like a super incumbent in Missouri and she was like a Ferguson uh, activist. And that, I mean, we've, we've seen a lot of these upsets one right after another of like progressive challengers unseating these, these incumbents. And I think the, uh, the person who she uh, unseated his family had been like controlling that seat for 68 years. Um, so I, I mean, I feel like every time I want to just like throw in the towel on, or like kind of just, I, I feel overwhelmed by the darkness and there is certainly a lot of it, something like that oh, happens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that that's, she, to me, to my knowledge, she's the person, the, she's the first representative, uh, she's the first person who's kind of like um, successfully won a seat as, you know, and uh, made a name for herself uh, or kind of just got involved in organizing uh, after Ferguson. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, what I think is interesting about that is how a lot of that uh, trust black women support black women crowd has been like so silent about that. Like, like, like really just, Oh yeah. Th- does, the Selena Maxwells of the world are not like you know trumpeting this from uh, the rooftops. It's, it's it just shows how so much of it is like like there is a a lot of class based stuff going on that doesn't really get discussed, and a lot of the uh, current black pundit class are basically uh, these middle class or upper middle class or or up um, black people who are kind of not that different in terms of class interest from the white democratic pundits. And they're as horrified and mortified by Cory Bush as any other establishment, uh, Democrat. So that's, that, that's, that's what I find like, really interesting how so much of the, uh, support black women crowd, uh, the same people who always talk about how bad black women get treated, but are totally fine with how, uh, Nina Turner and, uh, Brianna Joy Gray get, uh, treated all the time by by democrats you know and don't say a thing about it yeah yeah it's really it's really interesting to see you you get to really see who really cares about like um representation and who really is just kind of uh carrying water for the mainstream democratic establishment it's really really interesting stuff yeah yeah yeah. without twitter i don't think i'd really even know how big the cory bush thing was like yeah you look at the news they're barely talking about it um I think this is going to be a really interesting, you know, obviously it's like she won her primary, but the assumption is because it's like a very blue district. The assumption is that she's going to like, it's her seat for the, for the losing Mm. essentially. And I think that this is going to be a really interesting, uh, refreshment class, uh, both on the the left and the right. Uh, the only, the, the right is having their own sort of like, wave of, of uh, newcomers unseating incumbents but it's like a much obviously it's like a a very scary situation where they're all like, yeah, like QAnon, oh, yeah. QAnon people QAnon and truthers shit. yeah uh, um, I, I mean i mean i mean how scary is it that steve king is uh not radical enough <laughs> like, like, like you gotta get steve king <laughs> like, out of there he's too powerless yeah i uh to return to something that we were talking about a few minutes ago um you know, I find uh, that one thing that one thing that's been happening for a long time, but was super apparent in this moment is uh, the way that, you know, corporations uh, have kind of corporations and even um, 
individuals have used uh, this kind of really um, class-blind anti-racism to, like, promote themselves or to actually, like, uh, de-radicalize the moment. I'm thinking of people like Robin DiAngelo, you know? Um, and this oh, yeah. is kind of like... You know, just kind of this, like, HR notion that actually the only thing uh, we need to do here is um examine ourselves uh psychologically and um and listen and and that's it we definitely don't need to you know defund and abolish the police or anything like that uh, that's interesting i feel like robin d'angelo this is gonna sound uh, crazy to say because everyone's saying the opposite i think she kind of gets a little too much grief and, and, and the reason i say that is because the problem is so much bigger than her and she's kind mm. of become this like lightning rod, but I think she's almost too obvious. Like, like she's so kind of ridiculous in a way that, um, to me, it's the scarier thing are a lot of the people that they're saying you should listen to instead of Robert D'Angelo. Cause they are just, I feel like Robert D'Angelo is such a caricature of the white ally industrial complex that she makes a lot of other similarly de-radicalizing neoliberal whatever alternatives look palatable you, you know and the, when people say Robin D'Angelo's like really terrible which I agree which I you know agree with and then they write articles like here's five people you should listen to instead I'm like oh my god those five people are just almost as bad you know yeah. it's, just that, it's, just, it's just that uh four out of five of them are black you know and I feel like the, the scary thing about the uh Rama D'Angelo being the lightning rod is that it's going to open the door for a lot of other bad people who are just comparatively more plausible than her to get their uh, foot in the door. Like, But for me, most of the time, when there's like a list of 10, 20 books in New York Magazine or in the New Yorker and New York Times or BuzzFeed that you should read for this current moment, you know, to me, they're all as bad as Robin, Robin D'Angelo. Just a lot of them are just like black faces in in high in high places. Like, I almost appreciate Robin D'Angelo's just caricature level white ally industrial complex type of thing because I think it's so bad. It's almost kind of easy to um, see through. Right? Like, I have a feeling a lot of people who are gravitating toward her are not really serious uh people by changing anything any anyway you know that makes sense so for you as i think you describe your podcast as uh an intersectional anti-racist podcast and i know you're also a leftist like what's your you know if someone wants to do um i, I guess for for someone who's kind of evaluating you know what is like a a good person who's a good person to listen to or what's good reading material like what would you like? What would you say to look for? Um, you know what I think is a. You have to Google this. I don't have it handy. Um, but uh, Andre Andre Domiz, he's a uh, writer at McLean's in um, Canada, but uh, he put together this kind of. It's a podcast network, but also like a, a website. Uh, it's called Resistance Noir. Uh, it's spelled. R-E-Z-I-S-T-A-N-S and second word N-W-A. Uh, so 
uh, it's like Black Resistance in French, but it's spelled phonetically. Uh, and they have a they have a reading list that I think is uh, pretty good. But it's about it has a lot of um, Black communists, Pan Africanists, um, Black American authors who've written about radical politics, and it's pretty. It's a pretty good list if you like uh, Google Resistance Noir reading list, and they even put like PDFs of a lot of the books up there. Yeah, we can put the link to uh, their website in the show notes. I'm looking at it right now. I see that they have, um, they have like their reading list is is under book club uh, on their website, so we can put that that up too. And it seems wow, there's a lot of books on here, so it seems really comprehensive. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of good, like there's some Thomas Sankara stuff. There's um some like black communist stuff from uh the heyday of the labor movement. There, there's there's a lot of uh um one one good thing um George George Jackson Blood in My Eye for for prison abolition is is a good is a good classic. Like people talk about the new the new Jim Crow, but the new Jim Crow got a lot of his stuff from George Jackson Blood in My Eye and yeah, I mean, not everything on those mainstream reading lists is bad also, by the way. Like, I think mm. it uh, gets a lot of, like, flack. But things like um, New Jim Crow and and even things like Ta-Nehisi Coast, he gets a lot of flack, too. But, like, because I kind of realize you can't always give everyone the most radical s- solution. Some people, they can't start there. You got to get people um, where they can start. And for all the flack he gets, I think um Ta-Nehisi Coast has been a lot of people's kind of gateway into you know to the more radical stuff same with michelle alexander and uh new jim crow you know like i'm not sure how much of a gateway the robin d'angelo type of stuff is i'm not exactly sure I, I would love to know if people who start with robin d'angelo end up ever getting to the to the harder stuff but i, I kind of think of nicole hannah jones as that way as well even though she writes for like the most mainstream publication she writes for the times but i mean she has been the reporting that she's doing and she has been doing for years and years and years is about like, you know, in the beginning it was about like school segregation and stuff like that. Yeah. She's her stuff is very good. Yeah. Written really comprehensively about, you know, the case for reparations as Donna Hazard Goats has, of course. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I love Nicole Hannah Jones. I think her, I, I really liked the 1619 project. I especially love how absolutely batshit it makes republicans yeah uh, it's so funny um that they're yeah. also also the anti-woke leftist it's kind of weird this weird horseshoe where it's like uh the most class reductionist leftist and some of the worst right-wing people are, we hate I this podcast like, you know, we hate them on this podcast we hate yeah, the we anti-woke are, we, we, st- we literally started this podcast because of them because yeah. we oh, yeah. <laughs> we do not we do not stand but I, I I think of that uh, hand, you know that epic handshake meme and I feel like uh, it's like you know class reductionist leftist and like uh, uh, right wing reactionary and the both yeah. shaking hands like like hating sixteen nineteen project it's- yeah exactly yeah I mean like to me it just seems so obvious that you know I mean I I feel like with this like super reactionary men's rights activist anti woke leftist crew like the thing that they're reacting to is you know, the weaponization of identity politics that is used to try to, you know, put someone like Hillary Clinton or Kamala Harris in office or, you know, maybe to um, 
I don't know, to sell Robin D'Angelo's book or something. But, you know, their answer to that is like, uh, yeah, so I guess my only other alternative is to uh, to be racist and sexist. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Like, well, they've been driven they've been driven through it i mean it's, it's like just, well unfortunately we're at an impasse and it looks like i only have one choice yeah it's a wild <laughs> conclusion it's like those people that look at the pyramids and eat in egypt and are like well we don't know exactly how this was done so uh what happened was uh, aliens came down i guess <laughs> i mean it's just it's just a wild 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 place to take it but i do want to make sure that we talk about uh, something that you wanted to talk about on the show because i know you have to go in a few minutes and that is uh, astrology. So totally, totally different turn here. But we got to make oh, sure to cover oh, yeah, the yeah, yeah. No, no. But I don't think it's that different. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna bring it home. I, I, I think uh, a lot of the alien, the alienation and stuff that leads to the appeal of leaderless movements. I think a lot of that ties into. Like, I think it totally ties in. I think it totally does. I don't think it's left field. Uh, it's funny because um, it was a uh, Julius tweet that I think uh, started this, but. Like I was, you ever like randomly think of a tweet and you don't remember, you don't know why you're thinking about this tweet. All it's the like, time. All yeah, the time. yeah. It's the worst sign of like online poisoning. We just randomly think of tweets. And uh, I remember I was like, you know, I read this tweet and I didn't uh, favorite it. And now I can't find it. You know, you, know, you try to do the search and find it and this wasn't uh, happening. Because I was putting like, um, I misremembered your tweet. I thought it said astrology and tarot. Or maybe someone else said astrology and tarot too. I know I definitely saw your tweet. It could have been multiple tweets that I conflated into one. Well, I but, mean, uh, regardless, I'm so offended that you didn't remember my tweet verbatim. I can't. I'm so <laughs> yeah, mad. Yeah. How dare you? I, I'm, I'm surprised you still invited me on despite that. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't deserve it. You're very forgiving. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, but actually, why am I talking about it? I'll let you. It's your tweet. I'll let you um, oh. say what it was. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I. It was from like last year, maybe or earlier this year, but it was basically just talking about how, um, because I, you know, obviously I'm a, I'm a white woman in Brooklyn. I know a lot of, uh, people who are really into astrology, uh, and it has, as, as someone who is like raised in traditional Christianity and has like a lot of experience in that, uh, realm as well. Uh, it just strikes me that astrology, like people are really into it. It's like all of the, like, kooky magical thinking of uh traditional religions but like it's all directed inward it's like nothing about like there's no service there's no everything is like what is what does this mean about me because of my yeah. birth because of my birthday <laughs> uh yeah so that's the gist of it that's not it verbatim obviously but it's just like it just seems like a more I mean, obviously not that like traditional religions are uh batting a thousand and at all but it's just that, like, I think one of the most, I actually think one of the most appealing things about, uh, like, traditional, the traditional religions is, like, the community aspect of it. Yeah. And being in community with other people. Um, so, to me, it just seems like the kind of libertarian version of, <laughs> like, regular. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and you know what else I'll, I'll say is I feel like even traditional religion has been kind of headed there. Um anyway because oh, for yeah, example because of like the prosperity gospel and stuff <laughs> oh yeah the prosperity gospel but but even somebody like like um my mom is catholic and um she still goes to catholic church and when i visit her i, I go to catholic church uh too 
but you know go to catholic church and it's like it's just a bunch of people who show up by themselves one day a week and nobody knows anyone else in the church it's yeah. not like you know whereas uh, my sister i think she left and she went to i don't know what she's in, she's in a black church now my sister and i don't remember if it's um baptist i think it, yeah, I think it might be Baptist. I, I have to find out. Uh, but I've gone to her services and everybody knows each other. Yeah. Everybody has like, there's there's different like groups that happen outside of the service for like volunteering. So it's like, uh, you know, at the end of the thing, like, you know, people who are part of this this service group, um, you know, for like feeding the homeless, um, let's all meet here. Uh, everyone who's into this and, and they uh, have meeting groups prayer stuff and whatever but the catholic service that my mom still goes to is just a bunch of people no one knows the person to the left of them no one knows yeah. the person to the right of them they just show up once a week and so they're all praying by themselves just together and i think people are kind of growing up like that then that opens them to find the tarot and the astrology stuff appealing because like i feel like we've come to this place you're talking about in like these um mini steps you know what i mean Mm. Uh, what kind of what kind of Christian did you grow up as? I gr- I was raised Catholic, but I also had a uh, I had a stint in the in the non denominational evangelical church when I was uh, in college. Actually, uh, yeah. So, uh, but I mean, to that point, I think that because the Catholic Church is getting like the attendance is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. That yeah. is what's happening, and also Catholicism is not a proselytizing faith in the way that. Uh, evangelical Christianity is by its very nature. So like evangelical Christianity is very social and it's very like, you're constantly trying to like bring in new members and um, yeah, it was a little, I mean, obviously I'm, you know, uh, it was, it was, uh, it was too social for me. I had to, it was, uh, I had to, yeah, had to get out of there. Especially if you started off Catholic, it feels very, uh, hard to get used to that uh, well they like, also like, like they were they did not a lot of them really had a lot of disparaging things to say about i mean who doesn't have a disparaging thing yeah. to say about the catholic church but we're just like catholics are not real christians and like blah blah, blah. so yeah it's i mean it's it's totally different um definitely having gone to a bunch of different kinds of of churches uh yeah it's uh it's really and yeah, I I still go to mass uh, with my mom when I'm when I'm home as well, yeah. and it is it feels different than even though it's the same church, it feels way different than when I grew up because there's way there's less people there. Like you said, nobody like you don't even like recognize people from every week. It's yeah. really it is really uh, really weird. When I was a when I was a kid, I went to uh, Catholic school, so it's like. There was like more community in the Catholic Church then because a lot of your friends from the same school as the church uh, would be in the mass and people's parents kind of knew each other from, mm-hmm. you know, you know that. So it wasn't quite the same thing that was happening in like the evangelical and Protestant Baptist stuff where everybody was like in each other's business to the point that they're gossiping about each other. But at least you kind of had like a nodding, a passing acquaintance with the people that were in the Catholic um, church with you, you know, even if you weren't like going to each other's house for dinner, you kind of like knew each other by sight, by face. Your kids were friends. Whereas now when I go to Catholic church with my mom, like nobody knows everyone. I think the Catholic, the Catholic school attached to the church 
in a lot of places even closes down now. So like, you know, they don't even have a school function going on. But I have this theory. You could tell me what you think. I think a lot of this uh, astrology and um, tarot stuff are lapsed Catholics too. I think because <laughs> a, a lot of the iconic iconography, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, iconography. Uh, in the tarot and stuff, imagine stained glass windows, that medieval type of all the ritual. I think to your... I, I don't know if it's specifically like there is like a lapsed Catholic to astrology pipeline, but I think it's like people, I think it's just generally, there are a lot of people who like crave some sort of like spirituality in their lives. And, but organized religion has become so obviously like it's such a tainted concept and it's like, it's so off putting to so many people. Um, so I don't know. I just think, I think people really do just like a lot of people in general just want kind of want to be able to see some sort of like higher order uh, to things. And um, that's where I guess that's where astrology comes in. I don't really know. Yeah. And it's like if you have all those. You know, if you were a Catholic, you have all those candles anyway. So it's like, you might as well. Exactly. Just, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I think Julia's larger forces um, are totally right. But I think as far as the smaller stuff, like the um, the incidentals, like the, like the superficial stuff, um, I agree with Kate. Like, you have the candles, um, the weird medieval imagery, the um, lots of rituals. Like, you know, Catholicism is so like ritual. Uh, that's actually like, that's actually what i love about it honestly that's like yeah, what I yeah. always i i think that i like found the most comfort in in that in in the ritual yeah. of it and i actually i don't know what the equivalent of that would be for astrology i don't know what if there are rituals uh associated with astrology i don't, I don't, I don't know enough about it but yeah i don't think so much rituals but i think a lot of the aesthetics of, of astrology are, sure you know it, i think tarot probably has more actual like uh what becomes close to like ritual and stuff, you know, yeah. with all the card read card reading and stuff. Because I feel like astrology and tarot are kind of going hand to hand. Like, like there's like clothing stores, like li- little hipster clothing stores in my neighborhood that offer like uh, tarot readings, you know, mm. w- while you're shopping. Like, it's, it's gotten that uh, gotten that normalized. You know, I think it's a good bridge between this astrology and tarot thing and traditional um, religion. Is there was like a, a a Buddhism boom in the 2000s. Yeah, there's still some of that with, with mindfulness, but now the mindfulness has just become like psychiatry. Like, you know, it's, it's become totally like secular, secularized. Yeah. But but there was a stage where everybody was going to um, the Buddhist temple, and I felt like that was a lot of that was the same thing as astrology to the degree of people didn't like the idea of I'm just going to sit and meditate. Um, yeah, and I'll be by myself and directing inward. But I think even that. Still had too much community because a lot of those um, Buddhist places still wanted you to um, eventually meet with. Some people just wanted to show up and meditate and go home, but uh, a lot of places still wanted you to do some kind of service and stuff like that. I think a lot of people were like, oh, "I didn't sign up for this. This is still." Man, uh, that's cuckoo. That is like, again, that's like my. Fa- that's a selling point for me. I don't. I don't know. I maybe I. No, I totally agree with you. Yeah. Um... But yeah, and I think in the early aughts, we also had that boom of like a bunch of celebrities joining, like, uh, like becoming, uh, part of the like Kabbalah movement, which is like a, oh, yeah. a form of like 
Jewish mysticism, I think, if yeah. my memory serves. But um, that's another one that I think appeals to a lot of lapsed Catholics because it has a lot of that same type of uh, uh, cool, ca- like occult and Kabbalah. Because uh, Catholic Catholicism is a lot of cool visuals, like you know, uh, and. It's also like yeah. pretty, like the visuals are pretty violent a lot of the time. Like mm-hmm. the one, like obviously, blood, lots of blood, a lot of blood. It's like you know, um, having again having gone to churches of different denominations, um, like there in different kinds of in non-Catholic churches, there would be like obviously depictions of Jesus, but it's like in every Catholic church, it's like the centerpiece is Jesus on the cross, like nailed to the cross. It's like the very violent, anguished. Pain, yeah. look, lots of and talk also, about that. I mean, that's why I love it too, because it's like not that I love Catholicism, but like that was I love, you know, I'm a I'm a masochist. I love I love suffering. I love you know, wallowing in shame, pain. But 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 that's a very chicken and egg thing because do you like that because you're Catholic or are you attracted to Catholicism Catholicism because you like that? Because because I always tell people Yeah, I always tell people you're always Catholic, even when you're not Catholic anymore. Uh, like, well, the, yeah, no, I I agree with that. I think, and I think it's like I'm, you know, I haven't like actively practiced in years and years and years, but it's like it feel like I I think it's it's kind of comparable to uh, to Judaism in in that way only. It's not obviously it's not like an ethnicity. It's not like you're not like born Catholic or whatever, but um. Yeah, I do think that I will always have that like culturally Catholic shame kind of, thing. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Though I always tell people like, uh, you never, you can leave the Catholic Church, but you never like decatholicize in in it, that your whole relationship you. to shame. It yeah, doesn't because, leave you. Yeah. I'm so guilty of stereotyping because I would have pegged you as a Protestant. I would have totally stereotyped on the brown hair. Julia, Julia Claire, and I thought our uh, Kate would be the one that we have, you know, as the Italian would yeah. be having all the Catholic. No, I my grandma is talk. my grandma was extremely Catholic, yeah, extremely, and I, uh, yeah, I was baptized Catholic, so you're not wrong, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I do. I mean, I do look very Protestant. I will give you. I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah. Basically, this is a uh, this is a trad cath po- podcast now. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's, it's it's different because we are you know we're not uh anti-woke tradcast we are uh pro p- pro class conscious woke tradcast Inter- intersectional tradcast trad <laughs> yeah. Kate did I totally make up or pull out of thin air that uh you had some kind of Italian background no, or that's, that, that, that that's true I think you I think that you figured that out from looking at me but that yeah. is you're, you're right <laughs> no, 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 no no but did you have a joke about it in one of your stand-ups once or ever oh, maybe or? i did yeah that makes sense yeah i do know that about you for some reason yeah it's well it's true um but also i just have like really intense eyebrows so that's how most people know <laughs> anyway trevor uh i know that you got her on here and i just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on the show this was a fantastic so yeah much. it was a- it was a lot of fun. Oh, I, I want to make one one last point to what uh, Julia was saying and you guys were saying is I think that the tarot thing and all that stuff and the astrology stuff, I think that ties into a lot of how people want yeah. to protest too and how people want to be woke. So I think that's why this, re- this reading list thing is really big because I think 
reading is is important, and I think it's good to kind of understand what's going on in the theory. But there's a lot of people who all they want to do in response to the George Floyd thing is read their way to, um, I guess, um, as the beginning and end of the responsibility. Like you know, um, what can I read? What can I read? And I think there's um, that comes from the same thing. Like. Uh, who can I follow? Like, there's all these lists going on. Who to follow on Twitter uh, to support Breonna Taylor and George Floyd? I'm like, no, you're not going to follow your way to any type of salvation. You're not going to read your way to any salvation. At some point, you have to take part of a protest movement. You have to, um, you know, join some kind of political thing or, you know, do do something. Yeah, but th- th- that's the last point I wanted to make about how I think it ties in. For folks who, you know are not expecting salvation, but do just want to follow someone awesome on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the podcast uh, Twitter handle is uh, at Champagne Sharks, and the Twitter handle for uh, me personally is R- Ricky Rawls, uh, R-I-C-K-Y-R-A-W-L-S, no underscore or anything. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you so much, Trevor. Thanks and, so much. Uh, Thanks for having me, guys. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening to Reply, guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. Uh, the show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at OJuliaTweets, O-H julia tweets and twitter is where you can also find our reply guys they are always with us bernie take us out as i went walking that ribbon of highway i saw above me that endless skyway I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land.